Well, let's get it going on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We're going to mix it up this week, and we'll get some commentary of mine coming up here in about 10 minutes. But let's start off the show with a guy who you usually hear from on the program, but we're going to start off at the beginning of the show with that. He is Matthew Postens. Of course, you read him all the time on heartlandcollegesports.com, also the editor of the College Football America yearbook, a must-read, a must-pick-up for any college football fan. And before we get to it with Matthew, please take a moment out and um, leave us a rating and a review for the podcast. We'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie if you do that. So send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We'll get the koozie in the mail for you guys. Uh, Matthew, big news this week. Let's start there. The Big 12 announcing that starting on June 15th, Football student-athletes will be permitted to access campus athletic facilities and support personnel for voluntary conditioning and training exercises. We all know what's going on right now in the country, in the world, uh, in the world of sports. How surprised are you by this decision, and what do you think it means for the likelihood of a college football season taking place on time? Um, I'm a little surprised, um, but not not terribly shocked by it. It's yeah, this really kind of coincides with most of the voluntary workouts that usually happen in a traditional college football calendar. I mean, these student athletes would would not necessarily be asked to work out during the summer anyway in a normal school year, although they would have the option to do that. Uh, they would ha- usually have the access to the strength and conditioning coach. He's usually the one person on the football staff that is allowed to interact with these guys every day. Uh, sounds like that will continue to be the case in the Big 12 and across the country. Um, if you want to have football in September, these guys have to get ready to play. And, you know, really most of the chatter from ADs and commissioners and even the NCAA is, you know, they did no later than mid-July. They had to get started by no later than mid-July for these guys to be reasonably ready to play college football in September. So, you know, I think the key word here is voluntary. You're probably still going to have some student athletes that aren't going to be comfortable coming back right away. So if they don't want to come back, they don't have to. I mean, obviously, they'll be a little bit behind in terms of um, football conditioning, maybe not just like cardiovascular conditioning, but football conditioning. They might be a little bit behind in that respect. But I think given the circumstances, I don't think that will be held against those players. But give them the opportunity to come back and start working out. It's also a good beta test for some of these schools who are expecting to have students back in the fall. They can start you know, kind of watching the things they need to watch in order to make sure that everybody is safe. Um, you know, students aren't on campus right now. Most of the schools are, are basically doing online. So we're talking about, you know, 100, maybe 150 student athletes on each campus. Uh, I don't know if they'll have dorms open or not. I don't know if they'll, they'll be living off campus, but it at least gives them a start to get ready for football. Mm-hmm. Matthew, you know, it's interesting because we heard um, OU announced this week as well they'll be having student athletes back starting July 1. So teams and programs can pick and choose on or after that June 15th date, how and what they want to do moving forward. I thought it was interesting. Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 commissioner, came out last week and said, we got to know basically in the next few weeks uh, whether or not we're going to have a season to get this thing going on time. How much pressure is there just based on, on how you know the sports industry? You've worked in it for a very long time. How much pressure is there from the ESPNs and the Fox of the world to say, hey, you know, we got to get this thing going, but then also the university saying, uh, we need this $40 million check as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, when you think about how college football and really college sports in general is built, uh, if you think about the payout money the conference gives to each of these schools every year, 
that payout money is almost entirely television money from ESPN, CBS, and any other network that carries their, their games. So when you think about the model, it's a very stable model because football is very popular and they always have a consistent number of home games and a consistent number of games on television. If you take the product away or you truncate it, it has a huge impact, not just on the football program, but on every athletic program on campus. If, say, football were to go away in 2020, if they were to have no games, you're talking about the loss of Olympic sports yep. almost on every campus. Maybe not all of them, but some of them would go away because the revenue would go away. And I've always said this. You, know, you, you see Jamie Pollard at Iowa State say, we're getting ready to play football in front of 30,000 fans. That's great. I, I've been in that stadium. That should give them enough room to social distance people during games. But I've said all along, they will play college football games with no fans before they play. They don't play college football because they cannot do without the revenue. Yep, no doubt about it. Matthew Poston's joining us. You read him all the time on uh, heartlandcollegesports.com. Also, the editor of the College Football America yearbook, which you got to check out. Uh, Matthew, you know, I wanted to go to Iowa State next. It's interesting because Iowa State says we're trying to get games with 30,000 fans. But then you've got like Austin, Texas, right? Which, you know, bigger metro area dealing with this a little bit more than Ames, Iowa, maybe dealing with this thing. Uh, there's talk from the Austin American Statesman that things like, you know, Longhorn football games are unlikely to take place possibly per the public health officials down there. What does that mean? I mean, could you have a situation where, and I don't have the schedule in front of me, Iowa State's supposed to go on the road to Austin and instead that game is now being played up in Ames? Uh, I suppose that's possible. Uh, the lieutenant governor down here, uh, Dan Patrick, has uh, proposed that you know games like at Texas, Texas A and M, et cetera, take place with about thirty thousand people. So okay. they're 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 proposing the same thing from a statewide basis that Iowa State just proposed the other day. Now you're right, the health situation in Austin and in Texas is a little bit different than it is in Iowa State. Right now we're, I think, our statewide we're about fourth or fifth in the country in coronavirus cases right now. But it's different down in Austin and Houston. It's actually a bigger problem than it is where I live up in the Dallas Plano area uh, for whatever reason. There's just more infections down there in those areas of the, of the state than there are up here in the northern part of the state. So there could be situations where you know teams have to look at what's going on in their local area and say, well, maybe we're going to play at the at, up at Iowa State or we're going to play at a nearby stadium that's in a less you know, hot, less likely hot spots, so to speak. You know, maybe play more neutral site games this year if you have to. Maybe the Longhorns and the Cyclones meet at AT&T Stadium in Arlington if things aren't too bad up here, but they're worse down in Austin and Houston. Yeah, I think that's a, a very um, realistic possibility. Matthew Postens is joining us. And don't forget this, Matthew. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, just by supply and demand, I mean, basic economics if you only have 30,000 fans going into these Texas Longhorn games, I mean, those ticket prices are going to be astronomical, right? And that's something that uh, you want us to talk about squeezing out the average guy. Uh, this is this is going to be a way to do it if, if these stadiums can only be half or a third full. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how different programs calibrate the economic factor. I've heard with Texas and other programs down here that, you know, if you're a season ticket holder, you might not go to every game. You yeah. might only go to, like, two games at home this year and you have to rotate your tickets with somebody else. Maybe they allow those fans to share that cost as opposed to everybody having to pay for their own set of season tickets, which I, in my opinion, would not be fair. You think about pro sports and baseball trying to reboot in July, you've got season ticket holders who were, 
you know, guaranteed 81 games at home. Now they may only get 40. You, you've got to cut them a break from it from that standpoint of them not going to all those games. But, you know, when you think about the revenue, think about the athletic program, I think they'll find ways to make that work because they know if they've got a game and it's on TV, they're going to get that TV revenue. Matt, at the end of the day, they, they at the end of the day they make a lot of money off the games, but they make even more money off the games being on TV. That no doubt about it, uh, Matthew. I want to ask you just a, a basketball note here. You've been doing a great job on the recaps for the 2019-20 basketball seasons for each of the Big 12 teams. Uh, Dominic Moretti, it came down. Uh, the Texas Tech guard is going to be leaving the program and playing overseas. He's agreed to a multi-year deal in Italy. Uh, you know, we know that Texas Tech season didn't go as planned for a follow-up after a trip to a national title game. How big of a blow is this, and what does it mean for Tech come next season? Um, it's a blow, but it's not, you know, a death blow. I think the way that um, Kyler Murray, or I'm sorry, Kyler Edwards developed uh, over the course of last season, he became their second-best three-point shooter. Uh, Jameis Ramsey came in and injected himself right into the lineup the way I think a lot of folks thought he would. Uh, they've got a tremendous recruiting class coming in next year. And now with that scholarship from Moretti, they could go out and find a transfer who could come uh, join them next season. So Moretti's free throw shooting was basically automatic. His three-point shooting was very good. Uh, he did a very good job of becoming a quality defender and uh, being a, a solid part of that rotation for three years. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like losing a um, Keenan Evans or a, a guy like a Jarrett Culver. Uh, they've got the talent and the ability and the coaches to overcome that. Uh, I, I think that, I think Moretti is a guy who could come back to the U.S. one day in the NBA because he's such a good shooter and such a good free throw shooter. He could be a nice, valuable bench player. Uh, for somebody in the NBA down the road right now, just shot in the dark. Don't need a, you know, I, I know that it's very early. We don't need necessarily a huge breakdown. Cause I don't want to put you on the spot here, but the big 12 favorite for basketball next winter is. Um, it's going to be a shared favorite, Kansas and Baylor. Okay. Going back to the well, and, KU and Baylor. And yeah. And it's, it's just because both of those teams have so much talent coming back. Um, they've got a really good recruiting classes coming in. If you had, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Baylor just because I don't think they're going to lose Teague and Butler to the NBA. They're only losing Gillespie from a graduation standpoint. They got a deep bench, a good recruiting class coming in. Uh, to me right now, they're probably just a, a notch above Kansas just in terms of their overall talent. But Kansas is Kansas. They'll figure out a way to be good. No doubt about it. Matthew, College Football America, the yearbook. Uh, take us through it. I know it's a weird offseason, so what do you guys have planned? <laughs> Uh, it is a weird off season, but we're planning on having a full book, uh, probably uh, middle of June, end of June, early July. Uh, college Football America Yearbook is a book that covers every level of college football, from FBS all the way down to junior college. So uh, we're talking about Big 12, uh, Missouri Valley, you know, all the way through. Uh, we will have conference previews on 90 different conferences. We'll have information on 900 plus different teams. Uh, we'll have uh, photos from games we shot you know, throughout the country last year, including uh, Texas, Oklahoma State. We've got a great shot of Chubba Hubbard in the book this year. Uh, he's one of our, our top Heisman candidates. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a must book from, from my standpoint because of the photography, because of the stories, uh, and really because we're, we're kind of delving into more of the history of some of these conferences this year. One of the discussions we had was, well, we don't really know what they're going to do with football going into the fall. You know, they're going to push it back. Are they going to start on time? So we kind of gravitated a, a bit away from doing like your standard 
conference preview for every conference. And we're really focusing more on kind of the history of those conferences, how different teams have fit in and things like that. For instance, you know, the, the SEC, when it first started, um, it was filled with schools that are now in Division Three, and, and now it's the biggest, you know, football conference in the country. Just to give you an example, Sewanee, a Division Three school that is also known as the University of the South, was one of the original SEC teams. So we kind of delved into that in terms of the, the history of college football and the history of these conferences as a way of kind of maybe re-educating uh, the average college football a little bit college football fan a little bit on you know where all these conferences and where all these teams have kind of come from and it's all uh you can find it on amazon matthew just search college football america yeah it'll be on amazon in fact if you search college football america yearbook right now you'll find some of our older publications uh you'll find it on barnes and noble as well and i think we'll have a digital online offering as well uh, a little bit after the book hits the streets this year as well uh, our cover will likely be uh, the quarterback for north dakota state trey lance I know it sounds a little bit under the radar, but when you consider that uh, North Dakota State's won eight of the last nine SDS titles, uh, it's a pretty good player to have on the cover. Seems well-deserved. Matthew, awesome job. Great work. Looking forward to the yearbook as well. He's Matthew Post, and you read him on heartlandcollegesports.com. College Football America is the yearbook. Matthew, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. Always great to get him on and have his perspective. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. Coming up. Let's get into uh, Lincoln Riley, who is suddenly voicing his opinion on things. Yes, kind of surprising. That's next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So let's dive into what I think is one of the more interesting moments of Lincoln Riley's tenure as the OU head coach. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. So Lincoln Riley um, has been unusually vocal about something for a guy who, let's be honest, I, you know, doesn't say a whole lot typically, you know? I mean, it's just, it, it's not like who he is. I've often said Lincoln Riley, you can make a strong case. I think Gary Patterson's the best coach in the Big 12. But you can make a strong case that it's it's Lincoln Riley just based on what's happened on the field here the last couple of seasons since he took over. Um, but he's boring. Like, let's just be – he's boring. It's coach speak. It's cliches. It's, uh, you know, we got to attack the ball. We got to get the ball downfield. I mean, you know, it's all those different things that you hear from head coaches, right? And um, – now, over the last few weeks, Lincoln Riley has been very vocal about the COVID-19 and the coronavirus and how it's being handled at the college level. So you recall um, a couple weeks ago, Lincoln Riley said on the idea of players returning on June 1st, it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Um, he told The Athletic, in my opinion, we bring them back as late as possible before we play a season. Every day early that we bring them in, uh, we could have gotten better. Today, we could have learned more about the virus. It's a day PPE maybe gets better. It's a day closer to a vaccine. It's a day that our testing equipment and testing capabilities get better. And it's just not worth it. So we've got to be patient. We get one shot at this. And we've got to do it right. Um, and then Riley this week, uh, tweeting this out, he retweeted some doctor who said, not wearing a mask is a sign of your privilege. It means that even in a pandemic with thousands of people dying, you have not been touched by sorrow. Trust me, if you had actually seen COVID-19 in action ravaging the human body, you'd be wearing a damn mask. 
So there was a ton of response to this. Riley retweeted it with the shouting emoji, basically saying, you know, listen up. But here's the thing. Two people on this issue can be right at the same time. Somebody who lives in a more urban setting who may have been directly impacted by the coronavirus can feel one way. Well, somebody who's in a rural county with no cases has every right to feel like in their community, this has been overblown, right? Both those people can be right. Both those people can be saying true statements based on what their life experiences are, based on how this virus is far more likely to impact people in urban settings, i.e. New York, Boston, Philadelphia, than it is in places, um, you know, like Woodward, Oklahoma, where I used to work. You know, even, you know, go to bigger places, Waco, Texas, Ames, Iowa, Manhattan, Kansas. So it's just, it's different. The response to this has generally been based on your personal experiences. But, um, you know, what Riley has yet to do for a guy that is so buttoned up and is so uh, specific in terms of his game planning and what he says He has yet to share with us, like, what he wants to have happen exactly. He hasn't shared any type of statistical information beyond bluster and outrage. And that's my frustration. When he says we get, um, you know, if we wait, we can get closer to a vaccine, uh, PPE might get better. I mean, answer these questions, Lincoln. I mean, instead of just kind of bluster and noise, how much PPE inventory does Riley want? Can OU not get it? How much testing capacity does he want? Does he know that we have about two to three times the testing capacity that we had compared to a month ago? As for a vaccine, some believe we're closer to it, right? But no one knows with any type of certainty when or if we'll ever get one. So what do we do in the meantime, coach? I mean, what date do you feel like would be good to return and based on what criteria? Instead of just sharing screaming emojis of people saying, You're privileged if you don't wear a mask. How about actually, you know, sharing with us, like, what you want to see happen and why? And by the way, why not also share the tidbits, like, and this is not to diminish the virus. It's obviously a serious virus, but the youngest, healthiest people are not getting um, affected by it. You've got a better chance of being killed by lightning than you do dying from the coronavirus if you're under the age of 24, which every college athlete is. So, you know, why not share that instead of just kind of these vague emoji driven, um, you know, factless or specificless um, commentaries? I, I, that's it. I mean, you know, you're obviously entitled to whatever you believe, but you got to have something to back it up. And, and Riley hasn't had that. And that's what's been frustrating for me to follow from afar. Now, how about the Big 12? We were talking with Matthew Postens about this earlier. But uh, the Big 12 has decided, it has decided to allow student-athletes to come back to campus. And that's going to be taking place starting on June 15th. Football student-athletes can begin returning uh, to athletic facilities then. And that would be for voluntary conditioning and training exercises. Now, You know, there's two ways to look at this, right? One is obviously, you know, the kids, as I mentioned, young, healthy, uh, kind of a trial ground for kids coming back to campus this fall. The other way is, well, you know, if you've got some type of uh, pre-existing condition, if, um, you know, you have something where you're a little nervous about going back, 
I get it. The school, the program should work with you on that. But what I also think is that this would be the safest and healthiest place for these kids to be, right? Let's say you're an OU football player or any football player in the Big 12. And right now, you know, you're trying to get workouts in at, let's say, your local gym. Uh, but, you know, you go home, you got a parent, let's say, that's diabetic, so you're a little nervous about that. You go to campus, and you know what? You're going to be around a bunch of young people. You're going to have a better testing capacity than you would sitting at home. There's a lot of reasons to think that it's actually a safer place for many of these young people to be. So I'm glad the Big 12 is doing that, and it leads me to believe I'm, you know, even more optimistic about a, a football season taking place. Now, also speaking about a football season taking place, Iowa State is planning on playing games. Way to go, Iowa State. Their AD, Jamie Pollard, sent out a letter to Iowa State fans talking about plans for the 2020 football season, saying that they're looking at 50% capacity. That would be 30,000 spectators. Uh, they want to get those to be all season ticket holders, all 30,000. I believe they've got like 22, 23,000 signed up right now for season tickets. Uh, the plan is to not sell single-game tickets because the letter notes that fans who renew their tickets and make their donations to the Cyclone Club by June 12th are the only fans who will be eligible to attend games this fall. Of course, Pollard talked about safety mitigations that are going to be implemented this fall, um, You know what they think they're going to do in terms of getting people in and out of the game and having them watch the game safely. But kudos to Iowa State saying, listen, this is what we're doing. And you know what? It, it's the right thing to do. It's absolutely the right thing to do. I hope that, you know, all the other Big 12 schools start making announcements like this. Uh, which Now, here's the thing, though. It's going to be tough in a place like Austin, Texas. Because we we're just talking with Matthew about this. But in Austin, Texas, if they're health director, and they've obviously had more issues than a place like Ames, Iowa would have. But if Austin's having major problems and, you know, UT football games can't take place, what do you do? Do you play the games on the road instead of home? You know, there's a lot of question marks there. But the fact that Iowa State is making plans is a good thing. I respect them for it. And obviously using safety precautions is the way to do this, right? Be careful, be cautious, be smart. But don't be fearful. Don't be constantly fearful of things that don't require being fearful. You know, don't, don't, there's no reason to be going down that road right now. Just be smart. And, you know, the, the sooner you get going on that, by the way, whether you're Iowa State or Baylor or Kansas State or anybody else, I know you got to go by your state guidelines and by your city guidelines. But the sooner you get a plan in place, at least, the easier it will be to implement that plan and get the whole thing going. So I think it makes a lot of sense right now for all of these colleges and these athletic departments and everybody involved to say, what's our plan going to be and how do we make it happen? I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. And coming up, our final thoughts as we wrap it up on Heartland College Sports Weekly. few minutes on the program i'm pete mundo we're heartland college sports weekly part of heartlandcollegesports.com your independent big 12 digital media outlet thanks for joining us so derek duke wrote a really good piece for us on uh, heartlandcollegesports.com this week and it was about chuba hubbard and how he could win the heisman trophy 
I think it's a massive long shot. That's not because of how good he is or not good he is. He is awesome. He's the best running back in America, right? But let's be fair here. Most guys that have that huge sophomore, junior year don't follow it up with as big of a year as they did the next year. You know, he rushed for over 2,000 yards. There's only been two people to do that in back-to-back seasons. Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor, and then you got to go back to Troy Davis with Iowa State in the mid-'90s. But think about it. Since 2000, only three running backs have won the Heisman Trophy. Reggie Bush, Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry. Although it's really two because they took away Reggie's, right? So it's three, but it's two, whatever. Um, To get Chuba Hubbard, who's not at a blue blood program like USC or Alabama, which those three guys obviously all played at one of those two schools. I mean, he would have to have such a monster season. And the Cowboys, by the way, would have to have a huge season as well. I mean, that's, that's how it works. The optics of the Heisman Trophy are everything, right? You know, you can have the greatest stats and, you know, carry your team on your back. But if you go seven and five, it's not as sexy of a pitch. Oklahoma State would have to have a 2011-esque season for Chuba Hubbard. And then he'd have to rush for 2,000 yards to be put in the conversation. I, he'd have to do it. And I, I just don't see that happening. Not because it can't happen, but... You know, Oklahoma State is not a blue blood, right? So they're behind the eight ball there as well. And then you've got Mike Gundy who, you know, I got to be honest, if you're Mike Gundy, this guy comes back for another year, right? He does you a solid. You are a, a, I don't want to say you're the favorite to win the Big 12. You're not. That's going to be OU. But I think you should be, after OU, one of the favorites in the conference, if not the favorite, to make the Big 12 championship game. You can make the case probably for Oklahoma State. Uh, You can make the case for... Texas, although I hate to say that every year. <laughs> I didn't say it last year. Last year, I predicted OU-Iowa State. You could make a case for Iowa State again this year. Uh, you could make a case for Baylor as well. I think that's that's kind of where you draw the line in terms of the five teams that have a real chance to play in the Big 12 championship game this year. It's probably those five. It's OU-Oklahoma State, Texas, uh, Baylor, and Iowa State. Pick the order that you want after OU. But... Uh, Mike Gundy's like, all right, this guy came back. Am I going to run him into the ground? Am I really going to do that? Now, Justice Hill, and Derek wrote this, which was a great point. Justice Hill ran for 1,400 yards his sophomore year. The following year, he didn't get to 1,000. In six games that year, Hill did not have more than 15 carries. Now, yes, he was banged up, uh, was Justice Hill in that last season, but you know what? I think Mike Gundy does the right thing where he's like, I'm not going to wear this guy down to the ground and ruin his NFL career or potentially hamper in any way his NFL career where he's got too many carries and he's just, you know, a shell of his former self after a couple of years at the next level. I don't want to be responsible for that. And that's the right approach for Gundy. Gundy's thoughts should be like, you know what? Use Hubbard enough to get a win in every possible game. And if that means you're up 20 points in the third quarter, you know what? He's done. Sit him. He, he, I don't care if he's got 70 yards. The season cannot be about the Heisman Trophy. Chuba Hubbard, the Heisman Trophy, it's not 1952. The Heisman Trophy does not help your draft stock, all right? Every game's on TV. 
from the FBS to the FCS, like, y- you can find guys. You don't have to win a Heisman Trophy to get your name out there. It's irrelevant. People know who Chuba Hubbard is. He's coming back for this year. It's great for Oklahoma State. It's great for Mike Gundy. It's great for the team. And apparently that's going to – and I, I don't blame Oklahoma State for doing a big Heisman push in the preseason. That'll be fun. That'll be, you know, good for the program, good for the people involved with the program. That's great. But once the season starts, just do what you got to do with the guy to get a win and then sit him. And that is not a formula for winning a Heisman Trophy. It's just – it's not. Put that all together, and it's going to be a very tough uphill climb – for uh, Chuba Hubbard to to get that Heisman Trophy this year. And you know what? That's okay, based on the reasons that I gave. That's that's okay. So it'll be fun, though. It'll be fun to have a Big 12 guy that's, you know, in the preseason, a legit Heisman contender. Uh, you know, we talked about Jalen Hurts last year, but I think most of us knew that Jalen Hurts was not Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. And uh, it's nice to have somebody outside of OU being talked about in the Heisman Trophy conversation in this conference. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks to Matthew Postens. Thanks to Dan Rubenstein. And thanks to you. Have a great week. Please leave that rating and review, and we'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. Send me a screenshot of the rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We will send you that koozie. All right, so have a great week. We'll talk to you guys next week here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com.